It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, uh... can I please have your attention? Daniel Jiggins! Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. There is still time. My God, there is still time to get a gift subscription to the Dispatch before December 25th. And there's plenty of time before December 31st. Um, so for whatever your gift giving needs, whether you want to give a gift to somebody else or really just give a gift to us by spreading the word of the dispatch, there is time, my friends. There is time. Just go to thedispatch.com slash gift. Very complicated URL right there. Thedispatch.com slash gift. All right. So this is, uh, this is, is exciting. Um, it's thrilling. It's got a soupçon of danger to it. What we are going to do here today is uh, we want to do sort of a remnant year in review. No, not where we go over the year's remnants, as glorious and wonderful as they were, and what a wonderful source for enlightenment and merriment they may be. But instead, we want to go a year in review of, of the country and the world and society and this our own little slice of the space-time continuum. And we thought there was no better person um, uh, no better carbon-based bipedal life form than our own friend and colleague, Chris Starwalt. Dr. Starwalt, welcome back to The Remnant, and uh, it's great to see you. Well, Merry Christmas, and it's so good to be with you. And uh, I will first point out that I have given three gift subscriptions as Christmas presents this year. Everyone, and, and now it, it makes it easy when people say, what can I do to fix journalism? What can I do about the problems in America? I'm like, well, you should, you need to subscribe to the dispatch. Exactly. That's, that's what you need to. So finally, I too have a panacea uh, that I can offer to people. Um, that is true. And the other thing is I am perfect for a year end show because I am like those people on the VH1 shows where they get like five comedians in a room and then they just, they're like, the, today's topic is 1997. It was crazy. Okay, here's a clip from Saved by the Bell. React to it. So I am <laughs> perfectly, I am gated for this perfectly. Yeah, I mean, I wish we had audio to roll in of, of events from the year and, and you know, maybe if Caleb's not too pressed for time and um, and if the amphetamines don't wear off, he can give it a try. <laughs> but um, What was I going to say? I don't know. It's weird. I woke up this morning and I cannot remember names of like places and things. Which of your arms is more numb today? Would you say where, where, where have you lost the most sensation in your extremities? That's a good question. I'm a little distracted <laughs> by the fact that I keep smelling burnt hair. Yeah, it's not good, Jonah. It's not good. Uh, so there's that. Um, 
uh, no, I was going to say something about the VH1 stuff, and now I can't. I cannot for the life of me remember. I will say, and this is just trying to save myself from a total non sequitur, but it's not what I was going to say. Is the VH1 thing, particularly the behind the music thing? Oh, they were brilliant pioneers. So good at tapping into uh, channel surfers. Yes, right, because before every commercial break they would recap what you just watched for the last five minutes in a way that was enticing and then leave you with a cliffhanger about what's going to happen next. You know, will, you know, uh, Bonnie Raitt in fact defeat the Scorpion King. And, and then they come back after the commercial and they recap again. So it's like each segment was its own little mini doc that was a, a ended with a cliffhanger for the next segment. And so you could stumble on it from almost, you know, just while channel surfing and you're like, oh, I'll watch this for five minutes and then it would suck you in. The brother, the brothers Karamazov could not exceed the Eagles behind the music for drama, tension, horrible people. Uh, it's just, it's one, it, it is, it, it ranks up there. Now the, the greatest kind of those, of those sort of television documentary things, the OJ Simpson 30 for 30, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. The, the ESPN, uh, 30 for 30 on OJ Simpson is one of the best, most salient takes on race in America and popular culture that I have ever, ever, ever seen in any form. Truly good. So those things can be excellent just as this today will be excellent. Indeed. Although let's not jinx anything here. Um, all right. So before we get into the, 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 the best, the worst, the funnest, the, this, the, that, the other thing. Um, and I will say that this episode of the remnant has involved more pre-production Yep. Than any 10 normal remnants combined in the sense that we texted for like 15 minutes last night and again this morning about what we we're going to talk about. So just get get ready, people, for some serious pre-production values for the remnant. I, and I, I shared all of my responses and I don't know any of yours. So you have a substantial host. You have a home. You have a home field advantage here, but I can take it. Yeah, but the advantage, but guest advantage is that you got to pick yours first. So oh, I that is true. So you took some, some of ones the ones I might have come up with. Some so. of the fruit was low hanging. Yes, as as the as the English philosopher uh, James Harrington would argue about the essence of justice that was picked up by uh, John Rawls. It, this is the equivalent of trying to cut the pie equitably between two people. In that, one person cuts, but then the person who doesn't cut gets first pick. That's right. And that way, it's in everybody's incentive to be fair. Um, and that's how classical liberalism is supposed to work. So Amen. with that in mind, um, let's just let's just dispense with some of the rank punditry that we just have to address. Okay. Um, there was uh, Joe Manchin said something about not wanting to do something or other. Uh, it seemed to make some news. Uh, <laughs> why don't you fill us in on what you think about all of that? So in... Uh the argument around gay marriage and uh, before the Obergfell decision, um, we saw sort of a, a, a new thing in journalism, which was the explicit point that there is only one side to some questions, right? That there are not two sides to this debate, but there is only really one side. Uh, and then there are bad people who think the other way. Um, that kind of thinking has corroded uh, our national discourse in powerful ways. Uh, it is endemic on both sides and, or in, within both parties. There are many sides, but only two parties. Um, 
and I have been informed now by the New York Times and the Washington Post uh, and many progressives that this was about Joe Manchin trying to kill the planet. Uh, and that Joe Manchin's decision to forego a poorly constructed, uh, ill-conceived, uh, huge questions about execution, spending package that could not possibly live up to the promises of the people who put it forward, that the reason he did it was to enrich himself through uh, his family's holdings in the coal industry in West Virginia. And it really bummed me out because, look, I don't, I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't agree with Joe Manchin on everything. Certainly, I disagree with Joe Manchin on what he wants to do on voting. And he should know better as a former secretary of state. But the reality here is Joe Manchin is saving the U.S. Senate. He's saving the, the, the power of the Senate. He is making it possible for us to still have deliberative government. Uh, I'm, and there are others standing behind him quietly. But the vituperation, the hatred of Joe Manchin that I have seen in mainstream outlets and from the way Jen Psaki talked about Joe Manchin was astonishing. Now, look, I know that what Biden and Psaki are doing is saying, don't be mad at us, progressives. We are, we're, we were with you. It was mean old Joe Manchin. And look, maybe Manchin's in on the joke. I don't know. Uh, because certainly this has all helped him in West Virginia. The more hate that gets poured out on him, uh, the better his chances look for a reelection uh, in 2024. But the even understanding that part, the the talk has been loose and reckless and angry on the left. And I think it points to some serious problems the Democrats have facing 2022. Yeah, I mean, I actually wrote my LA Times column, which will be up at the dispatch tomorrow, manana, uh, where I started with that old saw, you know, that's using all those sermons about the guy who's on the roof and the floodwaters are rising and he prays. You've been hanging out with me in French too long. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, (laughs) I should have done, you know, the guy at the deli waiting for his pastrami. No, but anyway, so there's a guy on the roof and the floodwaters are rising and he prays to God to save him. And a neighbor comes along in a rowboat and says, hop in. And he says, no, 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 God's going to save me. And then please come by on a motorboat says, no, 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 God's going to save me. And then a helicopter comes, says, no, 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 I've prayed to God, he's going to save me. Of course, he drowns, goes to heaven, and says, and he lights into God saying, you know, what the heck? Probably poor choice of words. Um, <laughs> you know, I prayed to you to save me, you didn't save me. And God's like, what are you talking about? I sent two boats and a helicopter. Exactly. Um, Joe Manchin, to me, is sort of, and not in the Blues Brothers sense, but he's sort of on a mission from God to help save the Democrats. and. It's weird how the same bad political same bad political analysis, misreading reality that we've talked about forever now on here and elsewhere, and, and including in the fighting pits, is like how uh, the the Biden's the Biden administration thought that they had like a new an FDR style mandate to do something, and you know a new New Deal kind of thing, and um. But none of the political, none of the math actually held to that. And it seems to me like the same political misunderstanding thinks that this is the end of the world, right? I mean, Hillary Care died in utero. I mean, they didn't even have a vote on that thing. And, you know, the Dole presidency, you know, 
much as I would have liked it, you know, didn't didn't yeah. ma- materialize. Um, uh, I mean, I think Biden's probably a one termer, but not because of this. No, no, no. I, there, there, are, there are many reasons that could be true. I, I, I likened it in my dispatch column to uh, John McCain's no vote on the fake repeal of Obamacare. Republicans had had all these years to come up with a plan to replace Obamacare, could not had could not summon the internal will to make any choices, uh, and then they started stumbling through. Uh, repeal and replacement legislation in 2017. And, and it's July by July. No surprise, Rand Paul came up with a fundamentally unserious proposal, which was the Wimpy Burger proposal. I will gladly repeal your Obamacare on Tuesday uh, for a tax cut today. So basically they said, we don't have a replacement. Let's fake repeal it, but we'll take the money now uh, from the from the, the taxes that we're going we're gonna to change. And we'll do that, and then three years from now, we'll come back to do it. There are plenty of Republicans who didn't want to vote for that, but they knew they couldn't possibly face primary voters and say, I voted against repealing Obamacare. John McCain, who had recently been diagnosed with brain cancer, on the other hand, said, no, I this is dumb. And many agreed with him, but could not say it. And I think Manchin did very much the same thing for Democrats. They had painted themselves in the corner with this shoddy, legislation that could never do the things that it promised to do. They didn't have a way, and they didn't have a way to quit. Uh, Biden could not just say, well, hippies, sorry, you were right. We were never going to get there, especially after the terrible decision to lash uh, the popular bipartisan infrastructure package to this, you know, this pile. And uh, so Manchin is the guy. There's only one Democrat who gets helped by having every other Democrat 100% angry at them and in the U.S. Senate in that is Joe Manchin. So he is the perfect sin eater. Um, all right, there will be plenty of time to do more Build Back Better stuff. I mean, the thing that I consider the best news about Joe Manchin's position is it means that we don't have to talk about Build Back Better very much anymore. I mean, we'll see. I mean, there's this new thing about negotiations continuing, even though he said no, and, you know, and, and the... Jonathan Chait is keeping a candle lit for all of this, but um, uh, I just don't want to talk about it over Christmas, and this makes me happy. So I do have one last question before we get to the the year in review stuff, um, mm-hmm. and assuming that we can stay disciplined. So I watched Morning Joe yesterday, and oh, don't do it. Um, a lot of people were saying democracy is on the line. Some of it was wrapped up in the Build Back Better stuff. Some of it is that the Republicans now are just flatly against voting rights. Um, And the evidence is the John Lewis bill and the, what's the other one called? Um, Oh, the, uh, oh, yes. Uh, No, it's got, it's got a name that's like America and freedom the 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 america is awesome act or whatever they call it yes and so like i i'm 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 still in the position that like uh the the coup is still ongoing stuff the bart gelman stuff all that stuff that is all directionally correct i just think it's a little um uh overstated and thin on on evidence i mean if they take over these secretaries of state position and these electoral commissions and they give it all to legislatures and the 
hackish red states, that would be bad, and I think it would be bad. And so, like as as as, as David keeps saying, the issue is not vote casting; it's vote counting. Vote counting. Yep. And so, I am concerned about the vote counting stuff. But can you explain to me? I mean, I, I don't want to put you on the spot and all that, but like, what is the best case? Because I was I was listening really carefully for an example, right? Of like what the what the alleged threat that if these if these bills don't pass, what the threat to democracy is. I'm entirely in favor of re, of reforming, rewriting, updating the Electoral Vote Count Act of 1870. Blah blah. That makes total yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes to sense. Me. That would be good to do. But like, I it's it 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 feels like in the same way like they got themselves into a bubble with Build Back Better, they've gotten themselves into a bubble on this voting stuff that doesn't actually persuade me that the that their version of reality doesn't feel like the threat to democracy that I see. I see a threat to democracy. It's just not the one they're talking about. I don't see a huge threat to voting rights out there, but maybe I'm missing something. I'm going to start far away, but I'll get close quick. Um, I have been not terrible at golf a couple times in my life. And if I were to go out right now on a good golf course, I would, I certainly would not break a hundred. If I went and played golf two or three times a week, I would quickly go from shooting 115 to shooting 95 to shooting 90. Um, but the distance between 90 and 80, the last 10 strokes take much more time and are much harder than the first 20 to take off your score. Um, as we have observed with problems like race relations, women's rights, uh, and others, we made big, big strides for a long time. And then things were very good. And many people thought, aha, things are very good. But now we find ourselves more riven by this and more angry over these issues than we were when things were much, much, obviously much, much worse 20 years ago. So voting is now following the same pattern. We experienced in the United States over the past 200 years, lots of weirdness with voting, lots of weirdness with counting, lots of weirdness with access. Uh, we forbade people in some states to vote because of the color of their skin. Women didn't get to vote until the 1920s. Uh, corruption in big cities was real. Rural corruption was real. Um, I have covered the prosecutions of vote stealers in West Virginia. Um, we've talked before about the 1960 election. It was real. Now, as in the United States of America, voting has never been safer or easier that at any point in our history, it's better now than it's ever been before. Both sides are completely convinced and tell you to over and over and over again that our democracy is in peril and that the elections are either rigged or that uh, voters are being disenfranchised in alarming numbers. Both of these things are untrue. The irony, of course, is the behavior of the parties in this way is making it true, Right the active undermining of people's confidence in the process, whether it's Stacey Abrams um, or whether it's, I don't know who the, Josh Hawley, whoever the kookiest kook, uh, whoever her counterpart is on the right, um, Paul Gosar, I don't know who it is, but whoever is the most vehement stop the stealer, they're working toward the same end, which is to undermine the confidence of normal people in a electoral process they should be very confident in. And it is uh, a, a good 
microcosm, it's it's a very telling microcosm about what's wrong today is that both parties are deeply in, invested in selling the apocalypse. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I guess I should get like Mo on here and, and ask him this, but what, what is the incentive structure for Democrats? I mean, is it a voter turnout thing? Why did we lose, Jonah? They stole it. Why did we lose? Why didn't we win in Georgia? Why didn't we win in Florida for the gubernatorial? Why did Stacey Abrams lose? It was stolen. Their motivation starts in the same place that the Trumpites do. It was it, the reason we didn't win is because the other side cheats. Oh, boo, the other side, they stole this. This is our rightful thing. And then if you say, well, actually, Stacey, I, I don't think it was a close race, but I don't think that's why you lost. I don't think it came down to that. Uh, then you are on the Democratic side, racist, right? The, the racism comes in hot on the heels after that because poor, the, because of the fact that uh, non-white Americans are overrepresented uh, in the numbers of the poor and poor people voted a much lower frequency than rich people uh, and for, for a lot of reasons. But it quickly boomerangs with the, with the, with the chart that the connection we understand why voting rights and racism are connected in American history and in the American mind. But I think you're mostly just seeing what we've seen a lot for the past 20 years, which is uh, a nostalgia for the fights of the 1960s being laid over uh, largely unrelated current events. I, we will put a pin in this because I have thoughts, but I, I, we don't want to make this this moment of, of frivolity and jocularity about such weighty issues too much. Here, 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 here. So we decided to come up with a bunch of categories for best this, biggest that, whatever. Um, you know, <laughs> people are saying it's the biggest list. It's the big, people are saying it's the biggest list of best things ever. <laughs> um, and uh, I actually, I printed out a piece of paper, which I, my I, God, I, man, I virtually never do. Um, so I'm going to sort of traffic cop this. That, a you're the bit. host. You're and, the host. Um, and I should say, you should be feel free to give your, we should talk about like, you know, honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like second runner up, uh, best personality, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice to smile. Um, and uh, why don't we start with um well where to begin let's see uh biggest loser i think is a nice sort of like you know how they do the the best uh, supporting actor or actress before the beginning of the oscars to give you a sense of like give you a big one before it's like best gaffer best you know that kind of thing for the next three hours um, before they get, but they the save the big want. one for the end. So they, right. they, they so, they, so they so give you, you a put, good bite in the beginning. You want right? to put some middling chum out there. Okay. Middling chum. Okay. So, uh, who was your biggest loser of 2021? Trump light Republicans. Um, explain yourself. The people who position themselves for a post Trump Republican party. I mentioned Hawley in our our, our, for, our, our foregoing banter, uh, but the uh, Rubio, I, don't, I mean, we could, Ted Cruz, 
there's a list of of Republicans who were positioning themselves for a post-Trump Republican Party. They felt strongly that he would lose. They were preparing to in, to inherit his grievance and make it their own and carry it forward. But what they did not count on is that Donald Trump was going nowhere, that Donald Trump would be with us until the end of the age. Uh, and they immediately found themselves and their ambitions for 2024, their hopes for uh, sweet, sweet lucre uh, and many other things, having to compete still with the king of the grift. And they were so that they, they didn't get what they had hoped for. So I like it. And one of the things I wrestled with this, with on this thing is like, um, how serious to be about something. So I think we can both agree that in the grand sweep of things, the biggest losers of 2021 are the Afghans or Afghan women. Oh, that kind of thing. Right. So yeah, just, I just want to get that. I wanted to make that nod to reality I, for just ab- two seconds. Ab- this mine, mine is only coming from, uh, coming to you live from the intersection of, uh, eighth and, independence in the district of columbia as a bloviating pundit yeah this is a punditry weighted heavily in favor of punditry kind of conversation so with that said i would say my runner-up was jesse smollett (laughs) for rarely is it that somebody leans into such a bad lie so badly so persistently to the point where they actually go on the stand and perjure themselves. Yeah. Anthony um, Weiner was like, Hey, Ixnay, Jesse, like you've, you've taken it too far, sir. Yeah. So, um, um, <laughs> you just got to give a shout out to him, but I'm going to go with my biggest loser. It's actually a duo, the Cuomo's. Yeah. Great choice. Fantastic. Fantastic choice. And, uh, made more fantastic by the, tongue bath the 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 treatment that I, you and I talked about this in 2020 people were like you think maybe they'll take biden off the ticket and put andrew cuomo on i'm like no andrew cuomo is a dummy i don't know what you're talking what i don't understand and uh the fact that the 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 ones who the gods would destroy they would first make uh trending on twitter and uh there there they are yes um and I think both of us have plenty of things to say about the breakdown in certain standards at some television oh, yeah. news channels, but the weirdness of like not having a red flag go off about, I mean, like people were literally saying in real time at the beginning of the pandemic, which admittedly wasn't 2021, but they were saying, you know, there's an inherent conflict of interest of having a sibling interview a politician on air. Um, and so it's, it's, it's kind of like one of those Twitter memes of how it started, how it ended. Right. Where how it started is Chris Cuomo holding the giant Q-tip. The big a, Q-tip. Oh, oh your nose joke. is so big. Ma. And then, you know, how it ended is, you know, you know, do you want fries with that? Anyway. All right. So uh, it started, it ended with Andrew Cuomo start, as I wrote, starting a uh, cover band uh, in the Hamptons or joining a classic car club. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Let's go with, Biggest pop culture surprise, positive or negative? Positive. This is like a surprise that you thought was a positive thing. Okay, my my positive pop culture surprise. Um, the youth will not recognize this, but once 
we would go to the movies. And we might not know what movie we were going to see, right? You might say, we're going to the movies. You knew that there were shows at two, about two, about five, about seven, and about nine. And you would go to the movies and see what was showing. You might see something great. You might see something terrible. Um, but you would go to the movies. Well, we did that. And the movie that was available was Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds, which I was prepared to find an odium. And you know what? It was great. It was cute. It was funny. It did all the things that it was supposed to do. The kids enjoyed it. I laughed out loud several times. It was the kind of movie. And like Ryan Reynolds is capable of some good stuff. He's capable of some very terrible. Uh, he made a, I, I led by free guy watched a, he and the rock did a Netflix movie that was whoo, a dog's, a dog's a breakfast third of the way through that. And I don't know if I'm ever going back. It was the amazing thing about that, that it's called red notice. Yeah. Yeah. And the amazing thing about that is like, it's, what was the Schwarzenegger movie where true lies? No. Uh, the la last action hero was that? Yes, it? Where great, it, great point. It breaks the fourth wall, right? So, like, there's there's an element of everybody knows everybody on this set knows this is hackneyed, hackneyed, cliched crap with really bad writing. And what it kind of needed was like at some and I haven't finished it, but like in the Schwarzenegger movie, right? He the Schwarzenegger character is a film character who comes into real life and out of real life and blah blah blah. And in the, the, the cinematic world that he lives in, it's all cliched action movie stuff. And, but at least they have a twist where they kind of bring you out of that. This needed at some point someone like this, like in the old like Looney Tunes where all of a sudden someone in the movie theater audience would stand up and you'd see their silhouette against the screen. Yes, Mystery, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, that kind of thing. And just start like booing and yelling at the screen saying, what are you doing or making fun well, of it? I, I was waiting for at some point Harrison Ford to walk out onto the screen and say, you guys have only stolen 90% of your movie from Indiana Jones films yeah, and yeah, spliced yeah. them together in a bad, in a bad way. And fi, I expect them to say fine, but free, free guy was the right length, it was charming, it was well-made, and it was the kind of movie that Hollywood used to make a lot more of that, uh, and now are coming to Netflix, Red Notice uh, aside, are now coming to Netflix more, but it was just, uh, it was a treat to see something that was well-made, didn't take itself too seriously, and was fun, moved along well. Okay, so I agree with you entirely. This is one of the ones where, had I gone first, I might have picked Free Guy as well. I took my daughter to see it when we were out on the West Coast, we wanted to do one last daddy-daughter movie before she went to college. And it's basically the only thing playing at the right time in the right place. And it's great. I mean, it's like, and I know for a fact that I'm missing, and you're probably missing some of the more insidery video, video game, game stuff. Jokes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they managed to do it across a broad enough realm of pop culture and also video games going back to our youth, you know, yep. when, you know Pong and and um yeah they had nostalgia biscuits in there for us for sure yeah what was the what was the activision game where they're jumping pitfall. over this pitfall yeah um love that game anyway uh so I I, I I I expected way too much quicksand in life based on what i saw in pitfall quicksand actually very rare well this is the thing i think i, I think i talked about this on glop and someone's written i think i wrote a little thing about it but like not just cartoons but like abbott and costello all those kinds of movies, the Bing, Bing Crosby, you know, all, like Tarzan movies. 
Yeah. People were constantly walking into quicksand in, in old Hollywood, you know, golden age stuff. And like, it's barely a thing, quicksand. I mean, it does exist, but it's just not the thing that. Um, even, even Blazing Saddles has quicksand in like Utah. So that's right. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, and of course, Slim Pickens is desperate to save the wheelbarrow. Um, but I, I don't want to get all 1619 project on you here. Yeah, so, for real, um, for real. um, so I thought about this a good bit. Um, um, I thought a really pleasant surprise was, uh, Bob Odenkirk. Oh yeah. Film, nobody pulling off being an, a violent action star. Did not see that coming. Yep. Um, didn't think it would work, but he did it. Like they, they had a good fight trainer guy. Um, and I, I, I struggled with whether to put this one on the positive or the negative list. Okay. It's, it's, it's like a binary star. It's very hard to figure <laughs> out, but I think it's on the positive list uh, as a runner up. And it is the free Britney movement. Oh, and boy. I think the reason why I, wa- I was tempted to put on it, because it was just such a surprise. Um, like, really? Like, this is where populism has gone to ground is the free Britney movement. But there you have it. Uh, I, I earned the, uh, well, first of all, uh, nobody with Bob Odenkirk, I recommend very highly. I agree with you. Not, not only was it surprising, it wasn't surprising that Bob Odenkirk, who's a very intense actor, um, could play a scary guy. What was really remarkable was that they saved the movie. I thought that at a certain point I was like, oh, this is going to be really dark. This is going to be really, really dark. And they made a, 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 a kind of affirming good movie about it. And I really enjoyed it. And it was kudos. Uh, the free Britney movement on the other hand is one of my least favorite things of 2021. Uh, mm-hmm. it is, so I can see an, the argument. Yeah. yeah go on, it, go on. It is an example of how, um, it's easy now to generate a mob, but hard to disperse one. Right. So it's easy to generate a mob. We'll get together. We're going to free Britney. Now they didn't free Britney. Britney's multi-million dollar legal representation. Uh, and the fact that she has a whole law firm that will now be, uh, enriched of course by her but will act as her protector right they've this judge only agreed to this stuff because basically she was going from one fish tank to a bigger fish tank and but they believe that they did it and then and i was watching i wrote a whole piece about this and earned a lot of uh heat from the the britneyites which is then they were like and now we have to end conservatorships for everyone and i'm like (laughs) You're wearing a half shirt standing in the street outside of a courthouse uh, in Los Angeles, California, and you're going to end, le- you're going to end legal conservatorships or uh, guardians for everybody. Got it. Thanks a lot. And the, the fact that it, it went from being a silly thing to it had to, it was a, it was a mob in search of a Frankenstein. Uh, and that was a, a weird moment. Okay, I will withdraw it from the positive and throw it on the negative as one of the runners up. But my winner is uh maybe I should just stick with nobody, but um I was stunned that I ended up really liking the the uh TV Apple TV adaptation of Foundation. 
Okay, I've not seen it. I've never read the books. So I, I completely, but I know enough about the books that I completely understand why fans of the books consider it basically a hate crime. But um, you watch the first three episodes, and you're like, this is a disaster. I mean, like, it's serious. So the surprise is more that they actually stuck the landing of the first season and kept me for the entire time um, than it is that they made it a good adaptation of Foundation, because apparently it's a terrible adaptation of Foundation, but it's an interesting show. So. Well, there, that it is certainly possible to do that. I have learned about this uh, when you gathered your coven to talk about Dune. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I've, uh, when you talked to Michael Strain, good on economics, bad on Battlestar Galactica. I've heard many people talk about this, and you say you really like it, so I guess I'm going to have to take a take a look. Yeah, I, all I, this is the problem. It's like, and this is something that drives Rob along crazy, is people who say, yeah, you know, the first two seasons are pretty bad, but it, you, you got to stick with it, or the first four episodes are pretty bad and you got to stick with it. I, I, I'm, I struggle to recommend it to people who are not inclined towards science fiction because yeah. like asking people to endure the first three or four episodes saying what the hell is going on here um, for the payoff may not, and the payoff may not be there for them. So I, it's like the Yogi Berra. Yeah, it's I mean, like the Yogi Berra. Uh, the food there is terrible and the portions are so small. Exactly. Um, I do think you should, um, Check out Expanse if you haven't watched that. Okay, so... Do you want um, my negative? Yes, what is your negative? So my negative is the series Master of None, the Aziz Ansari, um, and a, a weird thing... Ha it, so Aziz Ansari developed a series with his writing partner called Master of None, which was essentially the story of a guy who... A, an aimless man an aim, uh, an aimless man child dating and drinking and eating his way through New York. And then they had a season where he went to Italy and it was still it, the, the chance on Italy was kind of good. It was kind of interesting. Um, and, and sorry, has a amazing quality to be a person who, uh, he has a, he has a Seinfeld character quality, a Seinfeldian quality in which he is not an admirable person, but endearing still. Right, he he can play these characters that are Costanza like in the fact that they're not admirable, but they're but they're endearing in their own way. And so I was very excited when they were going to come out with another season, but it wasn't about them at all. It wasn't about Aziz Ansari at all. They bait and switched, and it was their one female friend uh, and her journey through her life and all of that stuff. And that's fine. It's fine, but that didn't have anything to do with what came before it. And I kept talk about, I kept watching episodes of this, like, okay, when are we going to go to the show? And they never got to the show and it just spun its wheels the whole time. And it felt kind of like, um, and sorry, had some, uh, me too problems. He had some issues. Actually his stand up uh, on it is quite good, but it kind of felt like this was a, a throwaway or it just, it did not live up to what it had done before. And it was a disappointment. Um, fair enough. I'm going to just say for my worst pop culture surprise is the attempt to cancel Dave Chappelle. Oh, um, even though it's not quite right because they failed, but still yep. just the, the mere effort was such a depressing sign of where we are. Let's move forward back to the world of punditry for a moment. Um, biggest unforced error in politics. Uh, I, I imagine you and I agree on this one. This is another uh, one where you probably stole mine, but yeah. 
Well, that's another way to put it. Uh, but this one Beat is me so to the punch. I apologize. You didn't. Steal. This one is so obvious that because we all, when it happened, everyone said what? Uh, Biden, like a guy telling an off-color joke at a baptism, was like, "So we're going to withdraw from Afghanistan by nine eleven, huh?" <laughs> You get it? See, because 9-11 is why we got into Afghanistan, so we're going to get out on 9-11. And it was so jaw-droppingly Biden, right? It was so, it was like the full Biden, because Biden loves nothing more than big, stupid ideas. He loves a big, cheesy, stupid idea, more than any politician, I think. I Well, there's a lot in the Senate like him, but big, dumb, and cheesy is how Joe Biden likes to roll. And it was, it caused, so... He had to retreat from that number, no pun intended. He had to change that and put everything. And, and that, of course, was the harbinger of the of the real tragedy to come, the, the not the political disaster, but the real disaster to come. That was the harbinger of the a fundamentally unserious, fundamentally reckless uh, method of, of withdrawing from Afghanistan. Right. I mean, when you say harbinger, I mean, the, the, the key point there is that it was so incandescently stupid. And so lamely political in its conception that it didn't matter. It's sort of like when Jerry Seinfeld says he's going he doesn't want to, you know, he wants to return the code for spite. And they're like, you can't return the code for spite. Spite's not a valid reason. And he says, okay, I want to return it because I don't like it. And I said, I'm sorry, it's too late. You said spite already. You already said it was for spite. The second he said we were going to get out of there by on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, Everything else that followed in terms of what his, you know, you know, where they insisted how serious they were and, and all these kinds of things, you just could you had to discount because it was so clear in his head he had really dumb political instincts about this. And and then the fact that they screwed up the withdrawal so terribly, it just it was it was not good, Bob. Um no. all right, so I'm kind of curious what you have to say about this. My biggest unforced error was the decision by Kevin McCarthy to be so offended by Nancy Pelosi's moves on the January 6th committee that he refused to send any Republicans to the committee, leaving only Liz Cheney and, and Adam Kinzinger there, who are, I think it's fair to say, as a matter of simple political observation, not exactly defenders of President Trump, or roadblocks to the investigation. And if McCarthy had put, it, even if it wasn't Jim Jordan and, and Banks and those guys, just put loyal, you know, pro-Trump Republicans that passed muster, you, the, they could have slowed down the commission and given them much better, given the Trumpites much better ammo. But he thought that this was a good move for cable television and for pleasing Trump, but long-term strategically, not too smart. What do you think of that? I I think the unfor I think there is an un, a, a bicameral unforced error by Republicans, and you hear it in Mitch McConnell's recent comments. That there is a regret evident in his in his tone uh, when he talks about the importance of finding out everything that needs to be found out about January sixth. The correct thing, empirically, the correct thing to do was to have a 9-11 style commission that was bipartisan uh, and that would uh, take a sober-sided, serious look at this, 
uh, and return. But there were not enough votes. Well, a majority of the Republican conference in the Senate would not support this. And consequently, uh, they said, well, and I assume that when the Senate ditched that, they did so believing that what you described would happen would happen, that Kevin McCarthy would turn it into a joke, right? Uh, because none of the normal people would want to go, right? Who, in whose interest would it be if you're, if you're a typical mainstream Republican? a person who understands what um, uh, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram said about uh, January 6th, Pe- people who, who get it, right? Like, oh, this is a historically bad moment. This is a serious indicator light on the, on the national dashboard. That if you go on there, there's no winning for you. You don't get anything out of that, right? If you're Congressman Jones, well, uh, and McCarthy says, congratulations, I'm giving you the worst job ever. Right, because every concession uh, you give to the investigation primary is voters, a betrayal of Trump. Exactly. And every and, stonewalling is a betrayal of democracy. Or whatever. And so it's a loser. So the only people that you could put on it would be the goofuses, right? You can get Jim Banks and Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and whatever, you know, the, 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 the terrible children of the uh, House caucus or the House Republican caucus. You can put them in there. And then what happens? Then Pelosi every day gets to the Democrats every day get to say, well, we'd like to convene. And, you know, Matt Gates says, well, your mom convenes. This is a (laughs) so you don't have any serious people you can send. You can only send the the goofuses. And I think McCarthy, I, I, I think given the choices in front of him. And the fact that he is a follower, not a leader, I don't think he probably had a ton of choice. I don't think he had a ton of choice. Okay, so you're 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 dissenting from mine. That's fine. It's I'm going to skip ahead because this raises um um my dumbest political move. Okay, which you kind of foreshadowed. Um, and so I'll go first on this, and then you can give your dumbest political move. Um, McConnell stiffing the January sixth commission. Yeah, because I think his calculation was. Sort of like you were saying earlier at the beginning of this podcast, he thought we want Trump to go away. Right. The commission will keep him alive. He's going to go away and he's going to fade away. And um uh and so let's not have this thing keeping generating headlines. And it was a rare miscalculation for McConnell because Trump's not gone away. And um and now if you go, if you and look, I, I understand why sane people would not want to do this, but I, every now and then I go back and I look in my, one of my email accounts that gets all of Trump's email tweet thingies and <laughs> he's going after hard against McConnell. And yeah. so like, um, uh, McConnell and now McConnell's singing this different tune about how these revelations are important. He knew what Trump did was very, very, very bad. And he made a partisan consideration for the GOP and for taking back the Senate a year ago that I understand on the merits, but it was premised on the idea that the tumor was going to go away naturally. And I think now he realizes that was wrong. And, um, um, and that's why he's like giving new praise to the January 6th commission. 
I think the the failure to convict uh, Trump was the this the single worst political act by our legislative branch was the failure to convict Trump uh, in he should have been the the former president should have been um, impeached and convicted within days yeah. no, I agree of January 6th. Yeah. And once you let that one go, right, once that horse was out of the barn and they decided that, you know, what's who, who was it that, was it Bertrand Russell? Somebody said that a liberal is a person who won't take their own uh, side in an argument. Um, a failed branch of our government is one that won't take its own side in a riot, right? That won't stand up for itself even when uh, the Poobah potentate sends an angry mob down that comes and starts smashing in the windows and pooping in your wastebasket. And they're like, well, we'll see. Well, we, I sent him a text and I let him know I was very cross with him for uh, sending the people to kill Mike Pence. So I'm looking it up. I could swear it's Emerson who said a liberal own side of an argument, but I could be wrong. Um, I use Bertrand Russell for a lot. I, he's, doing, he's doing a lot of work in my fake quote. Robert Frost, get out of town. Um, Look at that. A liberal man, a liberal is a man too broad-minded to take his own side in a quarrel. I, for years, quoted um, from Wayne's World, which I still think is one of the funniest lines um, out there, Okay, where Wayne is speaking in Cantonese to the, yes. the girl for the first time. And, yes. And he says, was it Kierkegaard or Dick Van Patten? who said to define me is to negate me, yes. um, which I still think is friggin' fantastic. Okay. Your dumbest political move. Uh, my dumbest political move is hold on. Come back. Little Sheba. Uh, dumbest political move. Well, Oh, tying the infrastructure bill to the build back better bill. Um, you have a thing that everybody wants. The progressives say, we will not let you have what we want. Uh, too, because they wanted the infrastructure bill too until you give us what you may not want, right? We're going to demand action on a less popular thing before you can have the more popular thing. And look, uh, hindsight being what it is, it's easy for me now to say that what Biden and Pelosi should have done to uh, uh, Jayapal or the, and, and Bernie Sanders is say, okay, well, I'm going to let you vote against it. That's what you're going to get to do then. You're going to get to vote no on this bill that you want. And then we'll talk about it after that. And then I'll bring it back again. We'll keep bringing it back. As we'll let you vote against spending $1.2 trillion on bridges, roads, et cetera, until you get tired of doing it. But they're very afraid of, their, of the progressives. And uh, this was, they saw as a, a way to survive in advance and keep it all alive. Uh, it ended predictably. It contributed to their defeat in Virginia. Uh, it has made things worse. Uh, and they, the, the worst part of all of it isn't that they didn't end up with the build back better at the end of the year. The worst part of it is that they stepped on their line. Joe Biden needed to be able to say this summer, it would have been really, really helpful for Joe Biden to have been able to say this summer, we did it. We passed a historic coronavirus bailout package and stimulus package. And now we've done the infrastructure bill that Donald Trump never, but they, they attrited the advantage because they couldn't even brag about passing it because of the butthurt of so many on the left because 
a thing. Again, they were upset because they had to vote for a thing that they wanted, and it was really dumb. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, I've been banging my spoon on my heart here about this for a long time. You know, the the Trump. I mean, uh, Biden having gotten 1.9 trillion in COVID relief that we didn't need, but yeah. that was popular without almost any Republican opposition. Yeah. Um, uh, which tells you something bad, but, um, and then getting a $1.2 trillion infrastructure thing, you know, with 19 Republicans, he should have just gone and played with his German shepherds for the rest of his first year in office. That's a perfectly legitimate, you know, agenda for your first year in office. That's as I put in the LA times comes, that's almost twice what the Obama stimulus and Obamacare price tags were. Yes. Um, combined, you know, and yes. so like, and it was just super weird that he chose to do that. And, um, so I agree. I, I think that it was the worst political move. Um, um, and I don't think I, I'm just still stunned to the degree to which the, the democratic party just cannot get outside of its own but you know, like Jonathan Chait is making an argument which I think is actually probably right on its own terms which is that spending a gazillion dollars on a bunch of little programs that all expire is worse than fully funding a real program absolutely to go on forever it's better for liberalism I, I would argue it's better for the country I may disagree with the program but it's that's better fiscally point. it's better uh, in a lot of ways yeah I mean build on successes rather than throw money out that starts all these things and it's it's like the essence of budgetary liberalism these days is let's just get as many camels noses under the tent on the assumption that later we'll be able to pull the th whole thing through. And I, I just don't, what I don't get is like, I understand why the Republican party is full of idiots who don't know how to govern because they campaign on that. Right. They're proud, <laughs> but like enthusiastic ignoramuses, but we've been surrounded in Washington for decades now by Democrats who claim to be these wonky policy intellectuals who, you know, they're all, you know, sort of, they all wear their Ezra Klein t-shirts and, and that they only follow the data and all this kind of stuff. And like, what was the line that George Will had about when he got on the board of the Orioles and he was talking about how much money they spent so much money. Um, and he says it was something I'm going to butcher it, but it was something like, you know, we can spend a lot less than $50 million to come in 17th place. Um, there's a, there's, um, uh, there's a thing about like, if you're going to brag about all of the wonkishness and stuff, show me your chops, you know? I mean, at least, you know, if you run on, you know, yeehaw firing AK 47s, like it's an Afghan wedding and, um, and how we're going to ignore the government. Like you can, you can deliver on that promise <laughs> you know? every day. Every Louis Gohmert is getting that job done every single day in Congress. That is absolutely true. But they are Democrats are just terrified of their base. Both parties are just terrified of their primary electorates and they're terrified of the kooks in their caucus. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is obviously objectively afraid of the squad and all this stuff. And it, it causes a lot of, look, I'm not trying to summon Yuval Levin to appear uh, in our midst, but I will say much of this is a function of a failure to use regular order. 
Much of this is a function of a irretrievably screwed up budget system that needs to be totally started over. The the deals that were made, I'm I I know by invoking the bird rule and parliamentary and the, the parliamentary process of Congress, I'm I'm taking us to a sex 10 level of interest in this podcast. But the truth is the system that we have where partisan leaders hide the ball, cobble together legislation in secret, and then spring it upon unsuspecting members and say, vote or die, uh, is a dumb way to do it, and it it advantages the wrong people. The leaders convince themselves that this is the right thing to do because they don't believe that they can trust uh, the members to do the right thing, and they probably can't. But we still need regular order, and we still need a budgetary process that is. We need a we need a serious overhaul of the 1970s era budget process. We're sick. Um, I wish you would stop using your pickup lines at bars on this podcast. I know, I know. It's I bring the heat. Um, we I did dumbest political move, but we skipped smartest political move, didn't we? Yes, we, we didn't did. skip it. You were saving it for a second. You were following your your motif here. I guess that's right. Because get the bad news out of the way, because the smartest political move was for the Republicans in the Commonwealth of Virginia to nominate that human golden retriever in a fleece vest, Glenn Youngkin. I think that's right. I think, um, um, well. I, I hear you, and I get where mm-hmm. you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And kudos to the quasi smoke filled room process that delivered him, right? And vape filled, yes, a vape filled room. Yes. As we both know, I am in favor of less transparency and 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 more. Uh, I stay I stand shoulder to shoulder with you against transparency. Rule by grown ups in the parties, but yes. um, you know, there is a scenario. It is not a crazy parallel universe where we're all made from sausages or helium balloons and mm. you know, or any of that kind of stuff or where dinosaurs still walk the earth, but a very close similar universe where, okay. uh, you know, maybe we drive on the wrong side of the road over there, the kind of thing, but like, like very recognizable universe, Canada. Yeah. Vaguely Canadian, vaguely right? Which Canadian. is yes. my wife's family's criticism for all food that tastes slightly off. Yeah. It's like, it has vaguely Canadian taste to it. Um, anyway, uh, where if Donald Trump just decided to, oh yeah, be Donald Trump vis-a-vis Glenn Youngkin, it would not seem all that brilliant to have nominated Glenn Youngkin. What the? I totally agree. the The funniest part to me was all of the stories that said Youngkin offers blueprint for GOP. GOP, you know, path forward. Yes, but it wasn't Glenn Youngkin. It was Donald Trump. Donald Trump, and I told you at the time we talked about this on this very podcast, which is Donald Trump could have trashed that election in a weekend, right? In one weekend, he could have said, I'm coming in. I'm flying in. We're going to the Fairfax. People are very, very pro-Trump here in the Fairfax County. And he could have come in and pooped all over it. And then Youngkin would have either been accused of being a a mouth-breathing Trump uh, stooly, he would have been just an absolute sellout, or he would have alienated the voters in Western Virginia who liked Trump. And Youngkin did a very good job of slipping that news time and time again, uh, and made Terry McAuliffe look like a total 
blithering idiot uh, because McAuliffe could not transition out of the Trump, 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 Trump. And it was very well done by Youngkin, but only because Trump allowed, not only because, but it would not have been possible without Trump's assent. And as we're watching now in Georgia, where Trump is taking sides in the, well, we'll see, but uh, we assume he will take sides in a gubernatorial primary in Georgia and could very well hand the governorship of Georgia to Stacey Abrams. Um, there are other races where Trump is, it, it also threatens to play this kind of a role. So Republic, so while Youngkin does offer an example of how it can work for Republicans going into midterms, um, it will depend. And I suppose this is the way Trump likes it. It will depend on the caprices of the former president. So my, um, smartest political move, uh, which is sort of related to the previous conversation is the decision by McConnell to support and let other Republicans support the traditional infrastructure bill, um, as well as the Republicans in the House voting for it. Lots of people on the right considered this one of the greatest betrayals of all time, especially for the House guys. Remove them from the conference. That's right. Um, have live weasels sewn into their bowels. Um, and um, the... Uh, Dead or alive, it's not good, but yeah. Yeah, but live is much worse. When you Li- live is the worst. Yeah, yeah. Um, sit, stand still. Anyway, so uh, the the fact that they did that killed the sep- killed the linkage, and actually made it possible for the the Build Back Better thing to die. And I think it was. I mean, I'm not. I wasn't in favor of the spending, but as a political move, I think it was it was sharp to do. Um, Great. Shall we press forward? Do you want my gaff? Or yes, we going- we're going to do worse Kinsley gaff. And uh, Kinsley Gaff, for those who don't know, means saying something that you actually believe um, or that is the truth um, um, because that gets you in more trouble than saying something that you think is wrong. Michael Kinsley, peace be upon him. Uh, Yes, a Washington Gaff is when you uh, accidentally say the truth out loud. Uh, And this this title goes to uh, Representative Mike Kelly of Pennsylvania, uh, quoted in the New York Times from the... uh, the what was it called in um 1984 uh two minutes of hate what was Mm -hmm. the name for uh so in 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 the when they put liz cheney in a dunking booth in front of the republican uh conference for them to scream at her and tell her what was wrong mike kelly of pennsylvania said the following you look up into the stands and this and this is uh her for voting to impeach trump you look up into the stands and see your girlfriend on the opposition side. That's one hell of a tough thing to swallow. <laughs> and you're like, oh, Congressman Kelly. <laughs> oh, in so many ways, you have just revealed yourself to be woof. I mean, who you are. Woof. Yeah, ex- exactly who you are. And it, it was a palimpsest of awful with sexism layered with brain dead partisanship it was it had it all it had it, was, it, all. it was it was strong um and i liked it but i thought the more consequential gaffe was and this is in line with your comments about terry about uh glenn youngkin oh yeah was terry mcauliffe saying and then doubling and tripling down on the idea that parents should not have should not be mucking around with kids education and not, and should not have any say in what kids learn in schools. And, um, you know, I wasn't because I was 
riveted by watching paint dry. I did not actually <laughs> watch the debate where that first happened, but I saw on Twitter in real time, just all of these like political pros saying, oof, oof, that wasn't good. Um, and, and, and they were right. I mean, like, it's sort of a kind of a gift to be able to like, just hear that one thing and then be like, yeah, that's going to hurt. All right, let's move on to best book you've read this year. You have an interesting call on this one. Um, Neil Postman's 1980, I want to say 1987, probably mid 1980s, uh, amusing ourselves to death. Uh, I am writing a book about the news and I'm writing a book about that includes TV news and the, the basically the way I the way I see it, the media disruption that happened from uh, the world of television or from the world of print to broadcast um, was every bit as consequential as what we're going through now, which is as we go from broadcast to digital or social, um, and it certainly the one of the good things about the transition we're going through now, and I think the dispatch reflects this, uh, is the written word is reasserting itself in ways that we had not seen before. Postman's book, uh, I had trouble getting his points when I first read it as a young man because he's so crappy to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I struggle with the same thing. I keep meaning to go back to it. And I got something out of it when I first read it, but like I, I read it in that kind of partisan context. It's so, it, his, his, um, it's sort of like I, uh, I, in the same vein, I read Matt Taibbi's book and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Matt Taibbi point. And then it's like massive, uh, just freak out about, um, any number of basically corporations, man are keeping us from having the things that we want, man. And it's like, okay, I, I gotcha. So that I, I, I was not able to really hear Postman before because I was so put off by his contempt for Ronald Reagan, um, who is a perfectly fine person to disagree with, but he, he treated him like he was a, a dummy. Um, what I found now with more distance is he was so right, so powerfully right about the fact that it wasn't that if, if there's a premise, it is that George Orwell was worrying about the wrong thing. It wasn't going to be massive authority of the state that would grind us under the boot heel, uh, but that it was um, Aldous Huxley was right, that it was a brave new world, that we would be so addicted to our own comfort and pleasure and that would we would be so unwilling to hear things that were disagreeable or that we didn't like uh that we would be uh, he he uses the term narcolatized uh that we would just be doped out on our media intake and brother we are doped out on our media intake and it was uh, to to read it again I'm I'm so glad that I went back to it yeah no that point about Huxley which I quote at some length in both liberal fascism and in Suicide West, I think is a really important one. And it's the, um, you know, it's, I, I put it in one of them. I can't remember which, but you know, high school sophomores for decades have been asked what's so bad about Huxley's brave new world. If everybody's happy 
and I should I should say uh, Jack Butler has very strong views on this and always yells at me about how bad Brave New World is. But um, like everyone knows why 1984 is bad. It's like right. I don't want to live there. Um, and um, and this idea of prepackaged joy delivered to your home is just a very different thing. I do think, and 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 I we could probably do a better, more serious podcast about all this another time. But like the danger in some respects about the Brave New World is that the entropy doesn't stop at a bunch of soma addicted people. What you get, and I've been meaning to write about this at length because I have I still have to do this liberal fascism revisited thing. What you end up getting is a whole society full of men without chests, uh, as C.S. Lewis would put it, and then they hunger for new meaning and new glory and all this kinds of stuff. And you can look at some of the sort of insole, griper, alt-right kids who, um, you know, I mean, I, I saw some interview with that Nick Fuentes alt-right guy talking about how he's never had a relationship with a woman and he's giggling as if this makes him cool. And, um, not what we Gen Xers, how we Gen Xers. It's not how we felt about it. That's not how we felt about it. I mean, we thought it was important to lie about our supermodel girlfriend in Canada. We did not exactly feel like it was something to brag about, (laughs) like not knowing the touch of a woman. But, um, anyway, I think that the Huxley thing is not a steady state final destination. It can still have the Orwellian thing. Right. You can do both. Uh, both, both are possible. You can put in, you can put yourself like, the joke about the matrix what's so bad about the matrix right i feel good i'm in a pod somewhere with my life force feeding the aliens or whatever the heck uh and if i'm if my brain is happy then i'm happy then who cares if i'm in the matrix or not um but what happens ultimately is shout out ross douthat um decadence which is really what we're talking about there um decadence leaves you ripe for demagogues leaves you ripe for authoritarianism and again to go all the way back to this the my golf game the closer you get to the end where you feel like we are really doing it right like things are so much better things are so good now that creates this yearning for this other meaning that you talk about and this deeper meaning and a lot of it also has to do with the that we have neutered both figuratively and literally our culture and we've created this very weird bland space so yes so um i'm gonna take a total punt on the best book i read this year in part because i have so many guests on here who write books and plug books yes and i and i will be honest i have very little time to read books that are not for work or for Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that kind of thing but i did reread dune and i loved it so suck it i mean how long is dune how long is dune it's a, it's a hefty book. I would say it's 450 pages. I'm but guessing. less than 600, you think? I believe so, yes. Because I got to tell you, I went to the movie. My eldest man child really wanted to go. And his little brother and I agreed to. It adult, indulged him. Uh-huh. Uh, various negotiations uh, were made. And we agreed to it. And it was great. It was for much of the movie. I was like, oh, this is the movie that the weird... Kyle McLaughlin sting thing was trying to be, but they didn't have the technological wherewithal. They didn't have the movie magic to do it. And it looked great and it was lush and intense. And I like the kid who plays Paul Eratrades and all that stuff. And then they were like, now we're going to waste a half an hour in the desert. We're just going to 
maroon you here. We know you have to pee. We know that the movie has already gone on for two hours. But here's another 40 minutes of people wandering in the desert and Javier Bardem's eyeballs. And it, I was like, why? And why did you do that to me? Wow. I mean, I mean, I, I know you are of the, a man of the New Testament, but I didn't think you had such hostility to the Old Testament because there's a lot of wandering in the desert. In that <laughs> thing. Um, I, I feel triggered. All right. Um, uh, we should move on because I promised to get you out by a time certain. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Favorite technological breakthrough of 2021. I struggled with this one. I punted uh, and took uh, and did not think deeply about this uh, or research. Like, what is the thing that in the future we will look back upon and say, oh, it was Dogecoin. Oh, it was whatever. I don't know what it was. But for me, Apple asking me if I want apps to continue to track me. And it's probably more marketing than anything else. Um, But the idea of living in a future where you pay Apple money to protect you from other from marketers and other stuff i like where their heads at right i like apple doubling down on security and privacy and all that stuff and i think that those things will have value and the market will i hope the market will reward apple uh for keeping privacy and security at the forefront uh so that's what i say yeah so i I like this answer i'm not sure it would have been mine but it is worth noting and i don't want to overdo this analogy I just want to do this analogy. Um, the <laughs> It's a little like serfdom. Wait, wait. Hear me out. Go on. Apple. <laughs> Apple still tracks you. It's just. Yes, of course. They, in their uh, noblesse oblige, their, the, the, their digital pramanacta, they uh-huh. say, we won't let <laughs> any other of these tech companies abuse you you know it's like it's in the animal house rule they can't do that to our pledges only we can do that to our pledges exactly and um and i kind of like i i actually don't mind that kind of uh, yeah this is where this is where i get off the analogy because i do not like serfdom but i don't have a problem with this um well you might have liked serfdom if the alternative was to be ridden down by rival lords constantly right. and having all of your and you might have looked to the uh, Mott and Bailey castle, uh, and said, oh, prithee Lord, would you like to have half of my cabbages for the privilege of getting to run inside your fence, uh, when the, when the Vikings come? Right. So serfdom is only bad, uh, in comparison to freedom, not necessarily bad in comparison to a nightmarish existence of stolen cabbages. Right. Or where the, where, where the blood eagle, where the Vikings, they, they <laughs> slack, they, while alive, they could open your back and take out your lungs. So you look like an angel, like, yep, I'll take serfdom. All yeah, right. exactly. You know, it's it's about life's about trade-offs. So I struggled with this one as well. Um, a friend of mine who I consulted said, uh, even though this was a 2020 development, but the deployment of mRNA technology at scale, yeah, really a 2021 for sure. thing. That's good. I'm going to go with Paxlovid, though the pill that essentially yeah. cures uh, COVID if you take it within five days of a test. So, yep, for all the obvious reasons. Okay, notable death that hit hardest you took the one i would probably have gone with um but i got a couple others uh i said norm mcdonald because duh uh and uh just you mentioned the effort to cancel dave Chappelle, um who by the way his riff on uh 
Jesse Smollett, as, or as he called him, Juicy Smollett, uh, <laughs> is one of the funniest things that has ever been recorded. Uh, but uh, Norm MacDonald uh, was a comedian for the sake of being a comedian. Um, and the more you told him he couldn't say something, the more determined he was to say it. This is a guy who they said, hey, lay off the OJ jokes, okay? And he was like, oh, you said more OJ jokes? Do all OJ jokes? Okay. And he was a person who understood. Look, he wasn't a great entertainer um, because that he wasn't here to suck up to his audience, uh, but he was a great comedian and a just impossibly funny person. I agree. And, and so that's a good segue to one of the two notable deaths I struggle with. Um, I'm generally, I think I might have told you the story, but like I, my college, you know, I went to I'm the Rosa Parks of gender integration and I went to an all women's college <laughs> and um, had a big modern dance program. So Martha Graham was hugely popular. And when she died, people were very, very upset and people were uh, weeping in the hallways. And I think she died at like 97 or 98. And she stopped dancing at like 75 and stopped doing choreography at like 85. I mean, like really full life. And I just remember being an insensitive jerk and being like, when did you people want her to die? I mean, she was like 97 years old. Right. So I, 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 I bring that up because Bob Dole's death, mm. who was played brilliantly by Norm Macdonald, by the way, um, oh. was not a tragic death. This was a guy who was told he was way too old to run for president 25 years ago. And a life well lived, absolutely. Very well, a life well lived. But it reminded his death hit me a little harder than I would have expected because I was reminded of what a different kind of Republican Party was around back then. And even though I had my problems with it, there was something noble and good about it. And also because someone pointed out that a journalist asked Bob Dole, and was one of the obits, journalist asked Bob Dole, um, what he thought about Newt Gingrich's complaints that so many people took an instant dislike to him. And Bob Dole's response was because it saves time. <laughs> and I just think that's gold. <laughs> he was mean. He was, he was, he was kind and mean. He was very funny. The first time I met Bob Dole, I was working for the Washington examiner. I was like, Oh, Senator Dole, I have this serious uh, questions. It's very nice to meet you. And he's he goes, what the hell is wrong with the Sudoku in the examiner? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, sir. I blah, 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 blah. And he was like, well, you, you print it, and then you don't run the answers. And I'm sitting here wondering, and I've called, and I'm like, Senator, I, I'm sure I don't know. Um, but I will say on a more serious one, Michael K. Williams, uh, who was a life cut too far short, he was the um, um, guy who played Omar. Um, oh yeah on Wire, one of the chalky white yeah. on boardwalk empire and truly uh he was a sad one to see go okay um biggest winner of the year we're at the big awards now uh biggest winner of the year america suck it hippies uh I know that we have a lot of problems and I know that the pandemic and the elections have revealed Woe betide, many problems uh, for us. But when I look around this old, this old spinning globe of ours, <laughs> I look around and I'm like, would I trade play? In what country has come through this better than us? Um, are the miracle of these vaccines, um, the fact that our problems, our economic problems coming out of the pandemic are those of affluence, right? We're, we've come out of the pandemic and the problem is, too much. 
we've got too much cash floating around. Um, and yes, I know why the, a lot of the whys are bad, but the fact that it is funny to me how miserable people are given, if you look at what's going on in Australia, if you look at what's going on in Britain, I mean, of course, to say nothing of the backwaters of the world of Russia, of China, of, of, of what people have gone through in the developing world, uh, but just even of our European cousins, to look at what the situations are there, I say, USA, A-OK. So I did not expect such naked Chris Starwalt <laughs> riding in on a giant bald eagle waving a flag, pandering. Uh, this was this was always expect that, my friend. Always um, expect that. It's like you're a like the opening animation from the Colbert show, and 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 uh, anyway, uh, I I thought more humbly on this one, mm -hmm. and I, it was hard. I, I I was thinking about Elon Musk. Yeah, he, good. when the Time Magazine and Financial Times already do, I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to be the broom behind those elephants. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And you know, we already talked about Glenn Youngkin and yeah, good for him. But uh, yeah. um, I have, and this will sound like pandering to one of our colleagues, mm -hmm. uh, but I think. In the combined metaphorical and literal pandemics of the Trump years and the actual pandemic, mm -hmm. basically the only political public figure who has, has had their reputation enhanced is our own colleague, Scott Gottlieb. Uh, He's a winner. And like to come out of the Trump administration without serious enemies on the left or the right and having done good work, very impressive. To have gotten caught up in the maelstrom of resentment and bitterness and weirdness that has been invoked by the pandemic um, and to write a book about it and to get kudos from across the political spectrum. I mean, the guy's an operator. He's a friend, but it's a very impressive thing. And I look around for winners and, uh, you know, I mean, other than, of course, the dispatch and all of that it does, it's, uh, it's, it was impressive. But this is also because I it's a failure of imagination on my part. So there's that. I think I think the uh, Norm Macdonald answer would have been to say me. I think you should have said yeah. myself. Yeah. I am the biggest winner of 2021. Um, I will say, having be, now being freed from the uh, cable news uh, yoke, as it yep. were, I do feel like one of the biggest winners of the year. But you know, we can talk about that another time. And then it's very it's very freeing, sir. And so then let's 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 uh, let's cast our gaze forward. Much like the closing monologue in Raising Arizona, um, to the year ahead and the sunny uplands. I shouldn't say the sunny uplands. It's really the sunny foothills right in front of us of history. That's uh, right. What are you most looking forward to in 2022? I mean, let me go oh. to first on this one. So, because yeah, sure, 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 I, sure. I keep going second and it's a little unfair. I am looking forward to. A biblical act of comeuppance that will um, go down in the history books as karma getting off the couch, lacing up its sneakers, and saying, Hold my beer, here we go. And I am, of course, referring to the fact of Republicans taking back the House and then Donald Trump 
denying Kevin McCarthy the speakership of the House of Representatives. That is that is that is on my Christmas list for 2020, my wish list for 2022. Don't take it away from me, but we can talk about it. A, a more condign punishment for McCarthy would be for the Republicans to retake the House with a small majority, that instead of getting 33 seats, that they get 12, uh, and, ha- and he has a small majority, and then uh, he will have to uh, dance like a monkey in front of the Freedom Caucus uh, daily uh, to their satisfaction and that he will have to, to live that out. Uh, I would think that would be a, a, a that would be condign punishment. Um, See, this for, is like that. This is parallels the debate about like someone murders your loved one. Do you want them to get the death penalty, or do you want them to be like horribly abused in prison for the rest of their lives? And and, and having and having to suck up to uh, Jim Jordan and Jim Banks every day would be like being Sisyphus chained to the rock and having the uh, raven come and eat your liver each day. So I, there, there's there's there's, there's it's possible. It's possible, but it, it doesn't have the dramatic payoff. I mean, no, I it's get, true. I get. I mean, taking the prison metaphor too far. I get the the, the as the, you always are doing, as I want to do. Uh, <laughs> I get the fun of watching Jim Jordan eat off of Kevin McCarthy's cafeteria tray every mm-hmm. single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I that requires rooting for Jim Jordan in some perverse sense, and I can't get myself there. Um, so there's that. Anyway, um, what are you looking forward to in 2022, my cephalogical friend? Well, uh, revealing the depths of my perversion, um, the elections, uh, midterms, I am excited about them. I am excited about covering them. I am excited about all of it. You know, what's great about elections and obviously UNAB talked about this in the, in, in, in an arresting and, and clarifying way. Um, but you know, obviously this could all go wrong, right? Uh, we could have elections and there could be rioting and there could be what it's, this is possible, but you know, to some degree, this is always possible. Uh, it's more likely now than it has been at other times, certainly, but not more likely than it's ever been. And there's, you know, the, the, the West Virginianism here, the applicable West Virginianism is, I reckon we're getting ready to find out. Um, your point, I have really internalized about everything is in, when Congress is not Congress, everything is Congress, right? If we don't have a, a, an effective place to, to resolve differences, com- hard differences uh, in uh, the, the distribution of finite goods, um, then everything that will spill into every other arena because the place that it, where it's supposed to go, uh, won't, won't do its job. Um, the good thing about elections are they're clarifying. Uh, they, they offer a, a, I, I think we need a little resolution, uh, right now about where the country actually is and what it's like. I love the results of the 2020 presidential and, uh, congressional elections. It was a split decision from a fed up electorate. Uh, and, uh, they've gotten pretty much what they asked for, as you described it, uh, earlier, they got some coronavirus spending, they got an infrastructure deal and that's it for year one. And I, I think though, we need a little more clarification about where voters are and what they're up to. And it's time to test whether or not this is Donald Trump's America 
or regular America? Has di- is it Back to the Future two? Uh, did Biff keep the um, sports almanac and has made himself the king of Mill Valley, or uh, are we back to normal? We'll find out. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm tempted to quote Jack Donaghy from Thirty Rock and say it's a guaranteed disaster, like eating a burrito before sex. But um, <laughs> I don't. I don't, in fact, know that. Um, and uh, and the nice thing about being committed to democracy is that we've got no choice, right? And so let's make the best of it. Let's do the right thing as we see it. And um, and I got to say, I am more upbeat, you know, despite I, I don't want to sound like I am hypocritically borrowing the Star Wolf playbook and just nakedly pandering to patriotic sentiment. But... Uh, I am more upbeat about where the average American is in politics um, than I have been for about five years. It turns out that an enormous number of people in this country are normal. Uh, They may disagree with me about the size of government. They may disagree with me about various programs, but they don't like crime. They don't like, you know, uh, crazy overspending. They don't like hysterical people um, on the left or the right. And um, I think the, you know, the problem the term silent majority has been so poisoned by yeah, yeah, yeah. people who people using silent majority to describe very loud minorities. Um, but the actual fairly silent minority in this country is full of very decent people and, and, and they are letting their will be known. And that's a good thing. I will henceforth refer to them as the silent, but deadly majority. And I'll, I'll just set myself apart that way. Well, you know, that's like, <laughs> that's one of the problems if you have a burrito before sex. Um, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so there you go. All right, my friend, thank you so much for indulging me. I know I went five minutes longer than I, than oh, I Oh, you're great. You. It was, it's always, it's always fun to do. Thank you for having me on and it, uh, ha- Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you as well. And, um, um, we will surely have you back on early in the new year. And thank you for being part of the dispatch. And um, always great to have you, my friend. Amen, amen. All right, so Dr. Starwald has left the room. Um, thanks again to Chris for coming on. He's always a good uh, sport. Uh, my apologies to anybody for the forced nature of this contrived um, conceit of a podcast. Um, it was... Uh, um, sort of my idea and um, I'm not sure it worked, but Starwalt always pulls it out. So um, there you have it. And we are essentially going dark for a little while. Um, um, I offered to rack up a half dozen sort of solo podcasts that Caleb could work on um, uh, until his uh, fingers were bloody and raw, but he declined to do that. And so instead you will have to endure silence um but no we're this dispatch is going dark over christmas to new year's and um i shouldn't say dark i should say silent because we're talking about the podcast here and there will still be stuff um somewhat reduced but still there'll still be stuff at the website um and i highly encourage people you know there are a bunch of podcasts you know a bunch of remnants that we did over the last few years that really you know sort of hold up um and you can probably tell from some of the show descriptions or the guests which ones they are um, and they're worth revisiting. I mean, I go back and listen to really old econ talks all the time, or at least I, I, I used to for sure when I was working on my book. Um, 
but uh, I highly encourage doing that. And I really highly encourage uh, getting a gift subscription, getting a gift subscription for someone you love or respect or know um, to the dispatch. And uh, if you think that they would, um, they would like our secret sauce and like what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it um, and want to have a, you know, a source for news and analysis that, that actually values people's time and reading experience, uh, you know, please um, give it a whirl. It would be good for us. We think it'd be good for them. Um, and we think it would be good for lots of people. It would radiate with waves of goodness um, out into the universe. And um, other than that, I'm really grateful for the year that we've had um, here at the dispatch. And, you know, for me personally, it's, it's been rough for everybody. Um, but, you know, as I look back on things, we just did a glop podcast. You should, might want to check it out where um, John Podoritz was really leaning into the crushing morosity. And I tried to be upbeat and effervescent as, 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 as painfully as it comes to me. Um, and, uh, um, I understand there are a lot of things to lament about the last year or years, but, um, I really do think we're turning the corner in all sorts of ways, including on the coronavirus and, um, um, and be a good cheer because, uh, despair is a sin. And, um, I think things are definitely going to get better. And, uh, thanks again for listening. And I will talk to you again in the new year. And um, so I'll see you then. Ho, ho, ho. No, you won't. This is a podcast. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.